Hello and welcome to Cycling Talk with me, Georgia Mahoney. Today I am joined by Shari Pridham. When my mum first told me that Shari would be great for the podcast, I'll be honest with you all and tell you that I didn't know who Shari was. Once I started hearing a bit about Shari's story, I really wanted her to be on the podcast because I think everybody should hear Sherry's story and all that she's done for women in cycling. I feel this needs to be a story of two halves. So I'd like to start at the beginning and first talk to Sherry about all her experiences as a rider. Hi Sherry, thank you so much for joining me today. That's fine, George. I've been looking forward to it ever since you contacted me. I thought, oh, this is uh, so this is something different. And, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what questions you've got to ask me and uh, I'm sure the time will fly by quickly. So um, how did you get into cycling and what do you think your first memory of it was? Oh so a very very long time ago when I was about 11 years old um, I, was, I, was, I was always a bit of a I suppose a little bit of a tomboy really um, so I tended to charge about the streets with the lads on BMXs and all sorts of bikes and some strange reason I'd known about cycling a little bit but not much but I can remember my mum had a pair of hockey boots and um, I said to my dad at the time can you chop the studs off because I wanted to make some cycling shoes and I got no idea what cycling shoes were supposed to look like and then we used to make numbers and put uh, on bits of paper and put the numbers on the back of the um back of the t-shirt and pretend and have pretend races and then uh, one day um i said to my dad oh i wouldn't mind a race bike um i've never really admitted to mum and dad but they bought me a pink girls race bike so that's one of those with the where you step over the frame anyway um i started my first race on that bike which was um as an 11 year old which was called the argus cycle tour um it's 104 kilometers and it was at the time it was in 1984 so a very long time ago and uh, so that was my first race uh, and I won the 11 to 13 age category in four hours 34 minutes something and wow uh, and, that, and that was it um I um I won a medal and um sort of very proud of that little medal and then went on to do the next one and I think I rode probably four or five editions of um the August tour and that event actually still exists today but I believe they have upwards of oh I think 40 45,000 um, starters and I think it's the biggest timed event in the world um, it's in Cape Town South Africa oh wow so that was my, that's my first memory <laughs> when you did this race were there many girls for you to race against um no, there wasn't. Um, I think at the time there was um, probably from from the Cape Town scene anyway. There was probably about fifteen at most. But you know, with it being a sportif, there was probably a lot more. But when I got into the more of the racing scene, as I got a little bit older, twelve, thirteen, I joined my first club, which was um, a club called City Cycling, and um, I think there was only probably two or three of us at the time. So. Um, not many, no. So where did you grow up then? So I was born in Plymouth, in Devon. So originally from the whole family down 
Cornwall, Plymouth way. My dad was in the Royal Navy and he was transferred to the South African Navy when I was six years old. So obviously he had to pack everything up and uh, we, um, we set up, we set up a house and everything in, in Cape Town. Um, and I did all my education. So all my schooling, um, sort of GCSEs, A-levels, um, and then uh, went on to Cape Town University and did a business degree there. Um, my parents was always said, if you know, if you wanted to take your cycling seriously, then you'd need to complete your education first, which is something I, I'm sort of grateful for. But obviously at the time I was, you know, I was more interested in getting over back to the UK and, um, you know, racing my bike as an 18, 19 year old, but, um, you know, now I'm wiser and older. I probably thank mum and dad for, for <laughs> keeping their thumb on me a little bit. <laughs> so when did you realise that you were a good road rider? I guess it's, it's an odd one because no, no one in the family was sort of sporty. So it was, it was always a little bit odd for, for us to, um, to sort of head into cycling. I think my, my grandma played a bit of badminton at the time, but um, so I don't quite know where I got the bug from, but um, I don't know. I, it, it just sort of, just sort of happened. <laughs> so what sort of training were you doing when you first started racing? Oh, um, so I was renowned for doing very, very long rides. So um, there was a group of us. I, I always trained with the lads, obviously, because there wasn't many, um, there wasn't many girls to train with. Um, but we had a really, really super group of riders. And one of them in particular is also a team owner now. He's, uh, he was, he's a very close friend. We actually grew up together. We did our first race together. That was the August cycle tour. Um, and the, the lad's name is um, is Douglas Ryder, and he owns his team principal of NTT um, Cycling. So um, it was a bit odd that we sort of went off. Obviously, um, NTT is way higher than you know Vitas Pro Cycling, but it's just you know it's just ironic that we both went down the same path mm-hmm. into into team management, um, I guess. So, um, but no, I mean uh, I trained. I always trained hard. I've always had a coach. Um, I, I still keep in touch with my very first coach, um, Tony Howe. Uh, he still lives out in, in Cape Town. Um, sadly, the, the coach that I um, went on to, to sort of more taking care of me at international levels, he's, he's not with us any, any longer, but his name was also Tony. Uh, and Tony Roberts um, looked after me until I, I, I sort of came over to the UK in Oh, when would that be? Eight, 1989. What was it like for you having a coach? I've always been somebody who's needed um, a plan, um, a goal. And I've, I've always worked very hard at, at achieving those goals. I think when I was growing up, we were one of the first sort of groups that, uh, that Tony coached um, where we would go and do VO2 max tests. So I was always number driven and and very focused, very, very determined to, you know, all I wanted to do when I was in South Africa was get over to the UK as fast as I could and, and, and go and race for, for, for GB. Um, that was my, my biggest dream was to represent GB at the ladies tour de France. Um, 
and I think I think I ended up doing that within eight nine months of being back in the UK. Um, but that's that's another that's another question, another another story. So, did you do any other disciplines other than road? Yeah, I did. I, I did some crazy things as a 14, 15 year old. I, I got into a bit of cross country running because, of course, when we were at school, we had to have a school sport um, and cycling was, wasn't an option. So I did a little bit of um, cross country and athletics in the summer, uh, played a bit of badminton. Um, and then I got into um, triathlon, won the South African uh, Junior Triathlon Championships and I think I ended up finishing third at the, at the, the essays. So that's, um, I, I was rubbish at swimming, uh, okay on the bike and obviously half decent in the run. So, um, But um, I think my dad wanted me to become a, a professional triathlete, but I was mindset on, on doing, uh, doing cycling at a professional level. What do you think your favourite race was that you did? Um, it's got to be the ladies tour de France. Um, I, you know, I, I, I have my, my fondest memories of climbing the highest mountains in France. Um, and, and that memory of actually those memories of finishing on top of Alpe d'Huez, um, climbing Mont Ventoux as a time trial, um, finishing on the Champs-Élysées, um, just the, you know, the, that, that particular race will always stand out for me as, as um, you know, is what, what made me, I guess, as a, as a, as a bike rider. And I, I was never going to win one of those races. I, whether it was controversial or not, I, I, I had to, I had to watch very carefully what, um, what, what, what weight I was, um, not realizing back then when I was 18, 19 years old, that actually everybody didn't weigh 50 kilos and that, you know, it was okay to weigh a little bit more. And, um, but some of the girls I was racing with like Fabiana Luperini, um, those girls are like 39, 40 kilos, but I'm five foot nine and those girls are like five foot two. So, you know, there's going to be a bit of power to weight. And, as I've got older, I've realised that um, yeah, power to weight is it, it depends on how tall and how you know, and and what you weigh is to where your power is. So I found my niche. I was I was a half decent climber. I was never going to be a world beater, um, but I was I was happy with what I achieved at um, at that level, um, and 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 grateful for the opportunities that you know that we have then. But, you know, although there's a couple of stages now for, for the ladies tour, um, there isn't a ladies tour um, that is as long as 10, 12, I think 14 stages was the longest tour that I rode. What was, what sort of nutrition did you have when you were doing the ladies tour de France? Uh, it was horrible. It was, um, it was something called Maxim. Um, and we used to, I used to make it ourselves. There was no such thing as having Swanies. If you were in a better team, as I got sort of progressed, uh, obviously we, we'd get Swanies involved. But um, sometimes it was just Coke and water or, or just all good old plain water back in the day. How many times did you actually do the women's Tour de France? So I, I started eight and finished seven. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think the only reason I didn't finish the eighth one was was primarily down to a mechanical that I have, and the team that I was riding for at the time had no spare bikes. So um, there were two spare bikes. I wasn't the team leader, and uh, I think I'd got my 
rear mech ripped off the bike and I ended up having to climb in the broom wagon and then fly home. So um, very, very proud to say I finished, I finished seven Tour de France's started eight. I think a lot of elite men can't say that they've completed seven Tour de France's. So I think it's incredible that you've done that. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, you know, and I, and I think, um, you know, the, the, the ladies scene that, that's out there now, I think they fully deserve a, uh, a, a return of uh, a woman's Tour de France. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, if I can be in, involved in some way in, in helping that movement, um, that'd be great. But I, I don't, I, I believe it's imminent. You know, I, I think obviously with current, current con- climate, current conditions with COVID and whatnot, it's going to be difficult to, to have that visual on what might happen next year. But, you know, I, I think from what I hear, there's, there's potential for a woman's tour to start um, certainly in the 18, next 18 months, but uh, let's hope so. Yeah, I think that would be really great. So what was the best position that you had in the, your Tour de France race? I, I had some decent top five results. Um, I can remember riding to the top of Col de Sestriere, um, finishing, uh, I think I was fourth. I, I know I was top five, but it was almost as if I was uh, content to being in that group and almost thinking, you know what, I shouldn't be here, you know, <laughs> off you go, you know, you, you guys sprint. Uh, it was almost like I, I, I felt uncomfortable being there. So I was like, you know, but I was very happy with a handful of, a handful of top tens and um, a, a very memorable breakaway on the Col de Tourmalet one year and finished 12th. Um, it would have been higher if it wasn't for a puncture on the, on the lower slopes of the Tourmalet. But, um, uh, oh, some, I, I love going uphill, but I, I, I definitely didn't like going downhill. I, I, I can remember internally shouting every time we had to uh, and all oh, the cold the galabier was the worst that the descent on the galabier is giving me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about it um it took it felt like it took as long to de- to descend as it did to, to climb the thing but some of those some of those drop-offs i can remember going over the top of the galabier and the first bend is like a sheer drop down the other side and i, I just i just hated descending i, I had a good teammate that used to shepherd me down the descents and it was almost take me as long to get down and all the work I put in on the on the climbs I'd almost lose on the on the descents but um yeah uh, some real super memories on on the big climbs I I always feel a bit nervous even just watching them going down the steep hills on tv I think that it is incredible how they can be so confident on things like that when they can literally be falling off so, oh no, it's too right, Georgie. Yeah, um, yeah. Even even now, I've transitioned to driving the team car. You know, I I still have the utmost respect for the guys that are descending the big mountains. You know, just following them in the team car and uh, yeah, the, the the speeds that they um, that they go at is 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 mind blowing. Even to me today, you know, to to see them do that. So I understand that you ended your cycling career with a um, accident. So hmm. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, um, it was it was uh, just before the one of the 
the, the British National Championships, I think, probably a week out, and I'd gone out to do a training session, and uh, I wasn't far from home. Um, it was probably less than a kilometre, and I, it was a stolen car. He just shot through um, a junction and hit me sort of side head on. Um, and I ended up with some quite quite some horrific injuries, um, quite a very bad wrist injury. Um, both my shoulders were were broken, um, my my hip, various things. I think I think my jaw was broken as well, um, and and that took about eighteen months, I think. And and as a bike rider, you always think, well, yeah, I'll come back, you know, it'll be fine. But I needed, in the 18 months, I needed that many different surgeries. And obviously they did one shoulder first, then they did the other, then the wrist. And then there was complications with, with certain things. And um, I did I did try to, to come back 18 months later. Um, I rode a little bit domestically for a bit, but um, I, I was never, the scene here was just getting into sort of world-class performance and, um, and I think, to be honest with you, I was probably getting to the back end of my career. So um, it, it was just one of those things that um, I, I remember riding for a Belgium team when I did retire. Um, it was um, a race. It was called the Het Volk, uh, Ladies Het Volk. And I remember it like yesterday. I, I was just in the bunch. It was fine. I wasn't in any difficulty or anything like that. And I, I just looked around and I thought, that's it. I, I don't want to be here anymore. And I just peeled off into the into the feed zone at 50 kilometres. Um, jumped in the in the van with the Swaniers. Went back to the went back to the start finish. Um, phoned my DS and said, look, I'm going to head back. I can get on an early ferry and. Uh, and that was it. Um, I didn't. I didn't race again. That was the end of the career. Um, uh, end of my cycling career. That accident sounds terrible. How did you regain your confidence afterwards? I think that's it. That you know, you hit the nail on the head. Confidence is key, isn't it? And uh, I, I never gained that confidence back again. I, I, I think I was. I think I was fearful. Not. I seem to have lost my my. Um, my skill within the bunch as well. I was nervous about being in the bunch. And, you know, when, when, when you starting to think about the crashes because you've been hurt so badly and you're trying to make a return and, and stuff like you end up going through the motions and it's not something that, you know, a lot of my riders ask me, um, you, you know, when do you know that you're going to retire? You, you'll know that there's no, there's no particular day that, you know, okay, some riders can say, right, I'm riding till the end of 2020 and then I'm, I'm packing in. But that feeling that you, that you get is, you, you'll just know. And, and I think going through the motions, um, I can't even remember how old I was. I was probably early 30s then. Um, I, I think that was, that, that was it. I was, I was tired of the, uh, of the commitment. I was tired of the training. Um, I think I found myself um, not necessarily making excuses, but making excuses to train indoors um, rather than going out in the winter. Um, and then you, you know, you, I can see it now and I start asking, you know, you, you ask yourself questions then, but once you get a little bit older and you, you actually, you know, I've worked with so many bike riders, you can actually spot telltale signs.
So the second half of the story is your progression from being an elite rider to managing your own team. Can you tell us a bit about that and making the change? Yeah, so the, so the accident was probably instrumental in, in, uh, in one way, um, giving me a little bit of a focus. I just signed a, a contract with a, with a company called the American Bicycle Group. Um, and obviously with the accident, there was no way I was going to fulfill that for, for that particular sponsor. And the, uh, and the guy at the time, um, I think he was a uh, global marketing manager at the time, said to me, uh, you know, look, let's, let's direct this into, into a junior team. Um, and I'd already sort of sat with uh, my partner, Eddie, who, who'd been GB national coach um, so I'd, sh- I'd sat shotgun with him at various races and, uh, and, you know, there's no better place to learn the craft of driving a team car sat next to a, a very experienced team manager. Um, so I, I'd already got that in the bank, if you, if you like. And, um, you know, going back to the, to the junior team, um, I, I can remember phoning the, guy, is the, the guy's name is Dean Jackson. And I can rem- remember phoning Dean and um, well, actually... I phoned uh, the, the company and he said, well, you know, uh, can you meet me at Starbucks? It was at two o'clock. And I was like, yeah, which Starbucks? He goes, Derby. And I had no idea he lived in Derby as well. And I, I think within an hour we shook hands and I came out of uh, Starbucks with, with five grand to set up a, a junior team. And um, I, I think my professional career because I was always so organized so tidy so um so number driven I think that sort of transferred across to the way I wanted that junior team to look and and at the time looking back even now I I think you know wow we really did we really did put on a great show you know the guys had the best helmets the the matching bikes matching wheels for a junior squad and that presentation and preparation um, and I guess um, the, the way I communicated with the sponsors at the time. Uh, and I have to say those, all those sponsors that were involved with them, um, the team was called the Merlin Development Squad. And all those sponsors, I'm still to this day uh, close friends with some of them and keep in touch with those and often see them at bike shows and things. So. It was the presentation, I think, that that followed that through, and then I just, I think, I just got the bug, and um, and then we were approached by a, a continental team in the UK after we'd taken the Merlin Development Squad through to under twenty three, and then I wanted to take some of those under twenty threes to the next level, and uh, I, I worked for a continental team. Um, it was Plowman Craven at the time, and uh, my first UCI race. Uh, was the Challenge Mallorca, and that was the first time I actually drove the team car in a UCI race um, with the likes of, I mean, Valverde was riding, and you know there was there was all the top teams that um, that you could imagine starting this race, and and of course our team, my team, uh, went to the DS meeting and drew car one, and I've never been so frightened in my life. Car, car one is is as your first as your first driving as your first draw and your first drive in a UCI race was mind blowing and uh, but I'm I'm you know I managed fine and um, obviously progressed to uh, on to from from that team and then we were approached by um, Rally UK uh, at the end of the Tour of Britain in 2010 to take over the team in 2011 and then I was with. Uh, I think I was employed by Rally as a DS for, for them 
till 2013. Uh, and then long story short, they were bought out um, by a Dutch firm and um, things. I ended up, I ended up owning the team. So we set up a, a management company, if you like, and um, uh, that was up and running 1st of January 2014. And, and here we are today. So were there any other female drivers? No, um, they back sort of mid to late 1990s, I believe there was a lady driving in the convoy, I think in North America, Canada somewhere. And then actually um, one of uh, a British girl called Rachel Hill um, went on to manage, um, I think it was, uh, it might've been Spider Tech or, or one of the American teams. Uh, she went on to DS um, a men's team. There's not, there's not many of us. And there certainly is, I don't believe, but I stand to be corrected, I don't believe there's a, a female team owner that also DSs as well. So, um, yeah, we, we, we're pretty unique and, you know, we, we, we need more. You know, we, I, I, if there's anything that I can, you know, leave a legacy of is, is that to, you know, to say to, 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 to girls like yourself, to the female, come on, you know, let's, let, we need more of us. We need... You know, I can do it, and if I can do it, then so can you. Definitely. Was it hard being one of the only women? Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's like anything, Georgie. You have to earn your respect. Um, and of course, you know, let's face it, we're in a man's world, especially at, at the level that I'm at um, with the team. Um, but once once you've earned your respect and, and that really, you know, that really goes down to the way you conduct yourself, the way you handle your car, uh, the respect that you give the other, the other DSs. Um, it, it didn't take long at all. Um, and, you know, I think, that, like I say, you know, if you can handle your car, you do the right thing in the convoy, you know, um, then you, you, that's half the battle. And no, I, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore now. I'm just sort of one, one of the boys, I guess. <laughs> Am I right that you were a driver in the World Road Championships in Yorkshire? Yes. Yeah. Um, so th- there's, there's a, obviously only a, a handful of DSs um, that have a qualification to drive in the, in the professional convoy. Um, I myself, like other DSs at our level, have to have a, uh, a UCI uh, diploma or certificate that um, you go through an exam process at the UCI, rules, regulations, uh, you know, all, all sorts of things, conduct in the convoy, anti-doping, you name it, we have to go through everything. And then, you know, we you, you get, sometimes you get an opportunity to, uh to do other events obviously we weren't racing as a team last season had finished and i was approached i'd I'd done um a couple of guest guest drives for tour of britain and and then you start you start creating a a group if you like a a, a common group um and that's become a a real good family outside of the team you know we 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 have whatsapp groups and we we you know, we, we call them gigs. So, you know, it was, it was a great time driving at the Worlds and, and um, yeah, a, a one hell of an experience. You know, just, just a shame that um, the weather was so bad. So could you tell us a bit more about Vitus Pro? Yeah. So um, at the end of uh, 2017, um, 
we've got an opportunity from Rally UK to continue with another performance brand that they had under their sort of umbrella. Um, but I've, I've been with Rally for, for eight years um, and, and it was almost a, like I wanted a new direction or, 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 or another challenge. Um, so, so long story short, um, we parted very, very amicably. Um, you know, I, I sort of sent an email, went off and then realised sort of the next day, like, oh, we haven't got anything. So I went around the bike show and, um, yeah, basically we uh, we met with several bike companies at the time, but Vitas fitted the, I guess, fitted the brand as to where we were with the team and where I wanted to take the team. So I recognised straight away that we'd have to start um, almost from scratch, but, you know, sometimes in our industry and in, in, in the level that I'm at, sometimes you have to take a step backwards to, to move forwards. Uh, and that's been, that's been a hell of a challenge, but we, we did, you know, well, I, I managed to pull that through and I think we signed the Vitas contract um, back end of 20, 2017 for the start of 2019. So how many riders ride for Vitus Pro? So we currently have 12 riders signed uh, for, for 2020. Cool. So how have you and the team stayed motivated over lockdown? Uh, that's an interesting question. We, you know, we've, we've kept in touch with each other with, with Zoom. Um, we, we meet up, I think, every 10 days. Um, you know, and we started as soon as we realised um, very early on that races were going to start being cancelled. Um, and and uh, just, just to go back again, we started our season in Belgium and France and we had two UCR races within a week. We were 10 days away from riding one of the big races for us, which is the Tour of Normandy. We got back on the Sunday night uh, or early hours Monday and we were starting to get emails that races were, you know, France were, was in trouble with COVID and, and lockdown hadn't quite crept in but you know things were moving and then we'd had the email that Tour of Normandy was cancelled and I very quickly jumped on the on the wagon to keep the lads together and you know I think at the time everybody thought it was going to be two three four weeks and then everything would be okay and then we quickly quickly realized that when we went, went into lockdown that we needed to refocus but we were quite lucky because we as a team we discussed back in November um, that we wanted to to, to ride Swift or ride on the the e-racing platform and 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 you know and ride the proams there. We'd done a bit of a bit of it the previous year, um, and we discussed that we you know if we were going to do it, we wanted to do it properly. Um, and as it happened, um, those invites sort of coincided with lockdown, so that was really really great for us. And I have to say all credit to the to the riders because they they completely embraced it. Um, I, I'd never, I never said to the riders, right, you have to do, you have to do these races, hands up, hands up who wants to ride this race, and um, we'd get sometimes five riders, sometimes eight riders, but there was never any pressure to, to ride the events, so we rode the Zwift races, we ended up doing quite well, we won several as a team, um, we... Uh, I think Chris McGlinchey ended up at one point, he was ranked number one Zwifter in the world, if that's a thing. Um, and we when we super, super, super happy with how we kind of sort of progressed on the platform and that really kept us motivated. And then one thing we um, 
we sort of obviously look forward to was it was the tour of Britain and we were still hopeful like the staff was still very hopeful that we we might still see you know that that was the race that we was targeting of course but then when the tour of Britain was cancelled um I can remember I was on I was riding a Zwift as well and I got the email and and it sort of ripped the heart out of the team we were obviously very very disappointed but you know understandably with what's going on in the world and uh, and 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 in the UK, it, it was completely. Um, we we kind of expected it, but you know it still hurt a lot. So, we, but I have to say it was at that point where I got to know the lads. Um, obviously, we, we'd had the meetings, but you know we we'd had to have several individual conversations about how so some riders took it okay, some were expecting it, some riders were completely, uh, you know, devastated by the fact and we had to move very quickly to pick pick everybody up and motivate everybody and the other thing that we did was we you know we've we've always sat down with the guys on zoom and said right what are we doing on on social media and you know we tried to keep that very diverse we we went straight away into uh one of our partners is um our chosen charity for the team is calm a mental health charity and it sort of coincided with what people were experiencing so we went out and uh we did some challenges on Zwift uh and in fact um four of the riders actually did uh the Everest challenge or the e-Everesting challenge with me uh one one Monday I think it was the 25th of May or something so we ended up riding 12 hours 13 hours raising money for for calm but as a as a team riding that together was just it was phenomenal um i think it aged me by 10 years but um, took me forever to to recover but um and i'd only been riding two months i mean i i you know embraced that i guess embraced is the word but i i had to i'd had the zwift set up uh, but never really took it seriously and never really spent some time in setting it up properly and properly. And I think one thing I wanted to make sure was if I was going to direct the guys in some of the higher levels with races that we did over, over the real lockdown periods, then I needed to understand how Zwift worked as well, because there was no point in me trying to tell the lads how to ride Zwift if I didn't understand that. So I really, I really sort of got involved, and and I think the only way to do that for for me was also to to you know to ride swift and understand how the drafting works, and and then one of the races we did as a team was a involved a team time trial, and and the stage race was actually hosted by uh, in in America, and and we ended up doing a team time trial at half past three in the morning, uh, and that was bonkers. We had a we had a DS meeting, so all the all the DS's 2024 20, teams were there, including the ladies' DS's, um, sat at half three in the morning doing a DS meeting at, you know, red, ready to race. And it, it was an absolute blast. And I have to say that the tension and the anxious, anxiousness and, and the excitement is just as much as as being in the team car, you know, and, and, a, and a win's a win. Um, and, we did, and we did really well. Um, I think we podiumed every stage and we won a stage in in that particular race and, and it just really kept the team motivated um and i think the back end of the back end of lockdown we've had a bit of downtime as, as a group um because just like anything you know when you've been doing something for three months like 
we were on social media and we were doing the challenges and some of the guys Adam Kenway did uh, an Everest attempt outdoors and it was pretty full on so we've we've had a little bit of downtime but some of the guys have gone away for uh, a bit of a holiday um but we'll start picking things up now and now the you know some, some of the time trials are coming back in the hill climbs fingers crossed for a bit of uh, a bit of cyclocross um i've tried to look at rebuilding a, a bit of a race program um but for a, for a small team like vitas pro cycling um our season would have ended pretty much at the end of the tour of britain anyway so to try and find something post tour of britain date which would be september october is, is fairly difficult unless you had those um race invitations already set up so it's it's a challenge um but I think as, as a group, we are pretty much 100% focused on 2021 now. Yeah. So what do you think you've learned about yourself during lockdown? Um, I've had a lot of time to reassess things. Um, a lot of time to, to think about how I structure my day. Um, I quickly realised that if, if you didn't have a routine, you were in trouble. And I think... Um, I was grateful to have the lads at that particular time and we were, we were straight into the Zwift thing. Um, uh, and I pretty much since 23rd or whatever day, I think it was 23rd of March, we went into lockdown. I've pretty much ridden the bike uh, personally uh, every day since then. And, and all credit to the lads. I've had three or four of them that have um, made sure I, I we do meetups together so the the early the early sort of two months we had made sure that we had team meets meetups and we'd ride together um you know I, I could do two and a half watts per kilo and they'd do doing one watt per kilo but you couldn't get dropped but it was just we'd have them we'd have all the lads on discord and we'd have a right bit of banter for <laughs> you, you know for an hour and we almost everybody looked forward to that that friday meeting and um i i think um so it's given me some time to to think about how i how a that i can find time to do some exercise and um and learn other skills so i've really taken on board um video editing um a bit of uh, you know understanding how social media works with the difference between instagram and facebook and and twitter um love love the instagram platform uh, i've invested in um microphones in webcams so we've done a bit of coaching um and and really enjoyed that side of things and and given given myself some time to to, to learn another skill um might even in the future start taking things on on live streaming so um you might you might be able to do a, a live stream with me at some point, but um, got a uh, um, I've got a camera coming, a three sixty insta camera coming. So we'll you know we'll do we're just you know I think diverse is is the word, and we're going to do a bit of gravel riding. I've been doing a bit of gravel riding, a bit of adventure riding. Yeah, we're just going to do things a little bit differently until we're allowed to do you know what we what we love doing. Um, if if that's ever going to happen in the near future, I think things might change a, a wee bit. But yeah, diverse, I think, is um, reassess, um, absolutely motivated, you know, to, 
to make sure that we carry this thing through to 2021. Yeah, it's been a good it's been a good lockdown, I think. Obviously, like everybody, Georgia, you have days where you wake up and you just can't see, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. You you know, sometimes you think, well, what am I doing? You know, and you have those down days, but just one thing and, you know, you take the dogs for a walk or whatever and then you just have to be happy, don't you? I think it's really important to have something to focus on yeah absolutely obviously the team's the team's been a big focus but also um becoming a bit more healthier and a bit more fitter um for myself is is something i'm quite pleased with so where do you see yourself in five years time so you know i've always i've always had a dream to take this team um to the next level um you know running a team is definitely not easy it's um it probably yeah you have more tears than gold medals and and i think you know if you've got the fight um it's it's you know the, the team running the team is is what i've ended up doing and um, i won't give up without a fight i think we can we're always going to have challenges we've obviously got a massive challenge now to to take things forward to 2021 you know sponsor sponsor partnerships might, might change the, the the whole sort of financial field particularly for my team might change a little bit who knows um but we've got lots of things working in the background as well so you know we've had to, we've obviously had some time to connect with potential new partners, um, get to know existing partners and sponsors and, and, and just, uh, you know, stay, stay focused on, on, on taking the team to the next, to the next stage, which, which for me at, at the minute is, is to be competitive, I guess, like we were, um, you know, we touched on it last year, this year, obviously we haven't had the opportunity, but back in the rally days, you know, when we, when we could, win stages in tour of mexico win stages in almost win the tour in normandy win win climbers jerseys in in the ardennes or whatever that is but you know to be competitive again at conti level and then you know i've always said if i ever get the opportunity as a, as a female ds to drive or to, to ds in whether that be team car three or team car four in a grand tour um I'll never give up that dream. Thank you so much for coming on today, Shari. It's been really great to talk to you. And now everybody knows your story. (laughs) It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I want to thank you for, um, I don't know, taking on this challenge. I think it's very commendable. And you need to be very, very proud of what you're doing. Um, You know, you know where I am now. So if if you ever need to to chat about things or even your own bike riding you know um you know where i am and um yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for having me on your podcast thank you and thank you to all the listeners for tuning in they can check out our instagram at cycling.talk.podcast and you can find us on spotify at cycling talk podcast see you on the bike